I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hello and welcome to episode 26 of the world's first Paul Weller fan podcast. I'm Dan Jennings and 10 years ago I gave up my live stream and career as a radio presenter with one big regret. Never getting to interview my hero, the legendary British musician Paul Weller. This podcast exists purely to solve that issue. Welcome to Desperately Seeking Paul. This week I'm joined by Neil Jones from Stone Foundation a band that continues to raise the bar with every single release and a band who have worked so collaboratively with Paul Weller in recent years, whether it's been him producing an album or singing on some real standout songs. Trust me when I say that you're going to love this one. Let's get into it. Neil Jones, hello. Lovely to be here talking with you, mate. When it comes to talking about Paul, there's a lot to talk about in there. I'm very excited about this because I'd say a little insight, right? So earlier on, I asked um, Alexa to play the new Paul Weller song. Okay. Uh, and it went immediately to you and Deeper Love. That's how it, <laughs> that's how ingrained you are Rinked, with, with the great Rinked. man. <laughs> that Alexa will do anything for a £10 note. <laughs> <laughs> so no, I'm really excited about this. So um, the Stone Foundation, let's kick off first of all with your story and how that weaves into Paul Weller as we go through this journey. So your band started out, I mean, it feels like donkeys years ago, 22 years together as a band now, isn't it? Yeah, 22. Uh, actually, I think it's 24. Three now because we're coming up to our 25th anniversary in 2023. Wow. 25 years me and she's have been together. Hey, amazing. Okay. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> incredible. It's incredible. incredible, really. I mean, as we've started getting back into um, working on the next record and then also working on a few other uh, bits and pieces this year, we've, we've started to kind of reminisce a little bit. We don't usually look back very often, but we have got one eye on the fact that we are coming up to our 25th anniversary. I think it was a mixture of that and also the passing of our good friend Nolan Porter. It made me watch Keep On Keeping On again, the documentary Lee Cogswell did for us and um it just started to dawn on me what we'd actually done in the last 25 years and I, you know the journey's been pretty extraordinary really the people that we've worked with and the places that we've been and um and and the and the work that we've put out really i'm re- i'm just really proud of um 
of the fact that we've always gone forward with everything, you know. It's a remarkable, really, because back then it was you, the two of you, and was it a string quartet and a couple of people in the horn section? Was that it? The first shows we did were in uh, my hometown, which was Tamworth. There was an art centre there, and we put on uh, a thing called Two Nights of Ideas, where basically... We had, uh, we've always had like drums, obviously. Uh, I don't think we had keys back then, but we've always had like guitars, drums, etc. Um, so we had like a sort of four piece nucleus, but then we had a string quartet, two piece horn section. We had like these visuals going on behind us. There was uh, samples happening throughout the sets as well. It was a really grand vision of how we wanted to start really and we were really heavily influenced by a lot of the old soul records hip-hop also bands like traffic etc and of course paul paul was a massive influence but all that was in the melting pot so we we thought right this is how we want to sort of present the band and it's quite mad how years down the line we almost came full circle and, and we experimented went through different genres and came back to sort of the place that we loved, really, which was sort of soul and the many different facets of soul music, you know. Well, what you're doing is so lovely, and we'll touch on all of that in a sec. When was it you first discovered the music of Paul Weller? Were you were you a jam fan, or was it really the Star Council for you? So it's a different thing for me. Me and Neil were talking about this a few nights ago. Obviously, she's is like nine years older than me, so... For me to claim that I was in the front row at a style council gig would probably be a, a load of crap. The same for me, yeah. yeah. Because I, I would have been a young kid, probably, I don't know how old I would have been, about nine or ten, something like that, I guess. And when you're a ten-year-old kid, you're more interested in playing kiss chase with girls and and football with your mates in the park. You know what I mean? So I remember, I'm I'm really fortunate because my dad's got a really wide record collection. And I remember hearing certain things uh, that he was playing. Like one of my favourite records was uh, Revolver by the Beatles. So that was on heavy rotation when I was a kid. And one of my favourite tunes on that record was Taxman. And I remember very vividly hearing Start for the first time by The Jam and thinking, these dudes sound just like the Beatles. This is fantastic, you know what I mean? And just falling in love with that single. And then I remember hearing, uh, obviously, Going Underground, which was just like everywhere, you know, on on the radio stations from the point it was released to to now. You can still go into a goddamn McDonald's and hear Going Underground, can't you? You know what I mean? It's everywhere, but that is a tune. So those those two particular tracks, jam-wise, they really resonated with me. And then, obviously... It was weird because I kind of fell in love with early solo Weller. So his very first record that he bought out, which was like 92, I would have been 18 years old then. And that's at the point where I'm really starting to think about clothes. I'm really listening to music now. I'm not just like putting on singles and thinking, oh, that's a great tune. But I'm really starting to study music at this point. I'm getting into the guitar. It's no coincidence that my first three guitars were all Epiphone casinos. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> um, and and then Clobber as well, like the the sort of holy trinity, as we always call it, which was football, music and fashion. You know what I mean? They were the things that I was really into then at that point as an 18-year-old kid. And I remember just hearing Bull Rush for the first time and Into Tomorrow and songs like that, which I just thought were amazing. And then obviously you dig deeper and then you realise that the guy making the records looks fucking the coolest bloke you've ever seen as well. You know what I mean? So it's like 
So everything kind of goes hand in glove, really. And you just think, this is fantastic. And then, and then, you, then you're in it then. It's, it's a mad thing, isn't it, with Paul? Because everyone's got a different periods where they come to the Weller journey and then they stay with him. Or, like me, you start sort of in the solo years and then you have this wonderful sort of love affair with his early music and then you, you find out about the Style Council and what an incredible band they were as well. So there's this like wonderful sort of melting pot of Paul's music, which you can either rediscover or you can hop on board and enjoy the ride with him from that point onwards because he's never going to go backwards. So it's, mm. like, it's always like a wonderful thing to, to be involved in. Yeah, your journey sounds exactly the same as mine. So my first discovery of Paul was Aha, oh yeah, and thinking mm. this was a new guy on the scene until somebody revealed that, um, you know, actually there was this band called The Jam and you also have a listen to them. And then the Style Council for me came later as well. I was thinking, obviously, the new album's now been announced, Fat Pop, and how cool it would be if you're somebody who just discovers that album. That's your first experience of Weller. You've got 15 solo albums or 16 solo albums before that, all the live stuff and the Style Council and The Jam. What, and what a pleasure that must be for like an 18-year-old kid right now. Yeah, it's fan- it's fantastic. I mean, we're so privileged that from a kind revolution onwards, really, when obviously we were making the Street Rituals record at Paul's place, we've kind of been privy to hearing working mixes of literally every record he's made from that point onwards and demos. And, and then we always get like full album playbacks, you know, where wow. we'll usually play Paul our full thing that we're working on and then he'll go right can Charles let's stick on the record you know and then we this record in particular I think is it, uh, it's really eclectic and it's a nice mix of tunes it's it's kind of weird really because we always seem to end up in a similar kind of headspace because we always have the same discussions together when we're at the studio the new thing that we're working on the next Stone Foundation thing is a similar thing in the sense of going back to songs and not, you know, like uh, we've had records in the past and Paul's had records in the past which have these massive, like, um, outros or all these little interludes and all that sort of stuff. With this record, with Fat Pop, it's 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 very much like these are pop songs, these are in-your-face, that three-minute jobs, there they are, that's the tune, and it's, it's, a, it's a really great record for that. And I think that's something that we we were trying to look at doing with our new thing that we're working on at the moment is is making concise music, you know, that really sort of smacks you around the face and goes, that's that, you know. The other thing you have in common is that you're you're both always looking for what's next because the, the last album from you was telling the last year and already yeah. you're kind of, in, you're into the next thing, which I know, I, may, I guess there's an element of that where you can't be touring at the minute. So what else are you going to do, I suppose? But yeah. the amount of stuff you've released in, in that period where working with Paul is remarkable from Stone Foundation too. Yeah, I think I, I think it's um, a mixture of Paul's sort of wonderful hospitality. He's made he's made the barn like you know, it, it's me casa su casa that kind of thing. You know what I mean? It's like you know he always refers to us as his comrades or his or his brethren, and uh, <laughs> we are we do feel like. We do feel like brothers in arms in that sense, you know. We, we we're just kind of on this mission to bring out new and exciting music, and I think that's really important nowadays, especially with all the shit that's going on in the world, you know. So I, I think that's really important. We've got this wonderful working relationship with Charles, who's Paul's engineer at the studio. Who now with this new stuff that we're doing, as we're ploughing, I mean, we're really close to finishing the next the follow up record, so the one that we've just brought out in October. Wow! wow. And um, as we're ploughing into this, 
it becomes like second nature now, our relationship with Charles. So that in turn makes the recording process a lot easier. And then when you've got this infectious character, Mr. Weller, who always seems to be around when we're making stuff, it's lovely because he'll always say, oh, Jonesy, you know, let me know when you guys are in. And he always seems to be around. And he is as infectious now as I can imagine he was as an 18-year-old kid where you stood at the mixing desk and we're working on something in particular. And then all of a sudden you get this voice in your ear and he's going, can I put a little bit of piano on? I can hear a bit of piano on this. Or, or can I try a bit of guitar here? And it's like, yeah, man, be my guest. <laughs> so, you know, since Street Rituals, really, he's had some kind of, even if it was a small input like on Everybody, Anyone, the record that we made after, or Is Love Enough, he's played on, he's played on everything pretty much that we've done since Street Rituals or had a little say in, in the things yeah. that we've been doing. And, that, and that's a lovely thing when you've got, you've got someone who is overseeing you and, and he was one of the reasons that you picked up a guitar in the first place. Do you know what I mean? So how do you go from an 18-year-old kid discovering that solo weller, digging into the back catalogue, to working with Paul? Because, I mean, there's a big gap, obviously, time-wise. When was the first time you met Paul or you understood that he liked what you were doing? Okay, so, yeah, I mean, it was a massive gap time-wise to the point where I remember, like, my dad always used to take me to Weller gigs. So I remember going to, like, Aston Villa Leisure Centre quite often to see Paul play. The NEC, whenever he came to sort of the Birmingham area, we'd always try and see Paul play. Um, Then he'd take me to things like Day at the Races and those kind of big events, you know, that Paul was doing. You know, my mum and dad knew how much I loved the guy because, you know, I was so influenced the way I was looking, the guitars I was buying, the way I was singing to start with was really kind of, you know, I had to find my own voice really because when you're covering people's songs, you end up kind of not mimicking them, but you're aiming for that kind of space. So you kind of find your own way and that's really important. You have to find your own voice. Obviously, we just kind of, I think, from our little journey, we just kind of got better and better and better as me and she's met up. Before that, I was in a band called Warus Gumboot, which was actually uh, my first band. It was a group of mates. I remember like one night in particular covering Peacock's suit at, at the <laughs> Flapper and Firkin in Birmingham, and Steve Craddock was in the audience. Oh, and amazing. Steve, and, Steve, <laughs> and Steve came up to me. It was literally probably the year that that song came out, and Steve came up to me and said, oh, it was a great version, lads. And he was, he was there because uh, the band on the same bill were a band called Sergeants, a guy called Andy Bennett. Uh, Andy Bennett's band and he went on to join Ocean Colour Seed so so there was always that kind of connection the Birmingham connection with Paul as well because of uh, Steve and then obviously when we got Stone Foundation together myself and Sheeves we just really got our heads down and just worked at our craft really because you've got to you've got to keep writing constantly writing to get to a point where things start to click and I think for us There was signs of where we wanted to go. I mean, we've always had songs that I look back on and I think they're really cool. I really enjoyed that. But I think when we got to To Find the Spirit, when we made that record, and then the record that you see behind me, A Life Unlimited, they were the two records where I thought, we're really onto something here at the moment. It was at that point when one of our really good friends in London decided to pass on those two records to Paul and both times the response was really positive he said that I sounded like Felix from uh, from the Young Rascals that band the Young Rascals oh, yeah. Yeah. Which, I, which I love he loved the song Beverly I think he loved our version of That's the Way I Want to Live My Life and he was making like comments about the music and then the next thing that happened was I remember getting a message 
to say, your number's been passed on to Paul. He's going to ring you today. And we were, rec- we were recording at our studio at the time, our little studio that we're doing our Stone Foundation sessions on at the moment. I left the studio and I was driving down. I can remember exactly where I was. I was driving past Atherston Council House, council offices, uh, and my phone rang and I quickly pulled over. And, and then there was just this voice at the other end of the phone saying, all right, Neil, it's Paul here. <laughs> and I, I, you know, and in any other time and place, I would have told that person to, you know, do one really. But because I knew he was calling, I knew it wasn't a prank call. And then we just started talking about music. I just found those first opening bars of our conversation really easy going. And he told told me how much he loved the band. He loved the band's sounds. He obviously made the comparison with Felix from the Young Rascals about my vocals, which I thought was really lovely because you know I'm, I'm really heavily into that band. And then he just said, "I've got I've got the makings of something here. I've got the workings of something that I'd like you to have a have a look at." Now, initially, this was meant to be for Steve Ellis, so it was like the opening bars of a song that eventually became "The Limit of a Man." Right. So you had the piano intro and you had Paul singing um, the melody lines throughout, throughout the sort the verse melody lines. That was all it was, really. It was kind of a progression of chords. You had that really cool dun, 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 that thing going on. And uh, he said, I'm going to send it over to you. Would you like to try and co-write it with me? And I was like, yeah, man. I guess uh, me and Sheez will get our heads around it and I'll, I'll get it back to you. So, of course, as soon as that gets sent, our eyes are like firmly on the prize now. We know that we've got to do a good job of this. We really sort of went to town on it worked our asses off on it. I remember the old house I used to live in had an amazing kitchen with these amazing acoustics in it. So as a result, that's why I ended up pitching the chorus so high because of the amazing acoustics that I had in the house. So right. as soon as I got that chorus, I knew we were on something amazing. And then she's came up with some great lyrics for the bridges and I was working on the verses. We kind of uh, saw it as a song about my granddad's generation. That was kind of the inspiration for the lyrical content in the song. I was I was thinking about my granddad and his kind of dying breed, really, of people that kind of always had that stiff upper lip and they had that respect for everyone you know they'd hold open a door for a lady and all that kind of thing and how life was changing so inextricably for the, for that generation so that's what the song was about really we sent it back to Paul he absolutely loved it thought it was fantastic and then the next conversation I have on the phone he said you boys should come down and record that uh, and I was like what at your place and he was like yeah yeah come down come down he said well I've uh, We'll have two or three days. We'll do some recording. So as soon as he said that, me and she's have been working on some new stuff. And we were like, we need to go armed with some stuff here. So we went with about five or six songs, which became like the makings of the Street Rituals record, really. Yeah, we kind of went down, worked on Limit of a Man. As soon as we'd recorded that, Paul looked at me and went, you should just put this out. This is too good. This, You should just put it out. You know what I mean? So as a result, people will always talk about the Steve Ellis version. Well, it's not really a version of the song, but there's a Steve Ellis song that has that same intro and at a similar chord progression. That's because what happened was we did such a great version of this song, we thought, that's ours. Do you know what I mean? And we kept it. And then Paul had obviously already sent the demo that we got to Steve. And then that became a totally different song that came out about a year or a year and a half later after 
limit of a man. So um, so that's why that happened. Yeah, we just had this amazing time. The first time we met, I could tell that, you know, because he's allowing like five strangers into his studio. Do you know what I mean? So I could tell that you always have that little bit of nerves when you meet someone for the first time. And there was that kind of straight away, he just said, do you want a cup of tea, lads? Made us all around of drinks. <laughs> um, we all quickly realised that we've all got a similar piss-taking sense of humour. And I think the ice was well and truly broken when Paul picked up Sheezy's, uh, She's had one bass and it was it was a stingray. Picked up the stingray, he went, oh, I'm not sure about these. And she said, fuck off, you mod gypsy bastard. <laughs> and, then, and then as soon as that happened, everyone fell about laughing. And then Paul, Paul's got an absolute sledgehammer wit and he's, he was like pitching him with his own, uh, own remarks as well. But, the, the thing that's bonded us and the thing that sort of created that incredible sort of friendship from the word go was the fact that we just love the same things. You know, we love clothes. We talk about clothes. We talk about music. We love the same things in life. We've got a very similar sense of humour. And we've just kind of never looked back from that moment, really. You know, that fir- those first sessions. And then at the end of that first session, Paul turns to me. He goes, you've got half a record here. And I was like, yeah, no, it's, it's sounding really good, isn't it? And he said, I honestly think, you know, you should come back and record the other half of this record. And that's when he was really becoming hands-on then. And we thought, well, he's kind of producing this. So uh, so that was it, mate. And uh, we've kind of not looked back really since then. The, the, my last comment about that particular segment is that I remember sitting at the studio desk with him, sitting at the uh, mixing desk with him in Black Barn, and all the other lads had left the studio. They'd all gone home. I was travelling on my own. I sat next to him. Me and him sat at the mixing desk. We played back in the game, and this was before all the strings went on and the horns. It was just us five. Uh, sorry, us six making music in the studio. And he played back in the game. He said, Charles, put back in the game. on. We played back in the game. We had a smoke together. And we sat and listened to it. And he turned to me at the end of that song and he went, that's a fucking tune, that is, Jonesy. <laughs> and I, I just remember, like, just thinking, I can't believe I'm here. I can't believe I'm sat in this. Yeah. And I remember I played that particular song about 15 times on the way home in the car that night. And I was welling up. You know what I mean? I was properly welling up because I'm singing a duet with Paul. And I was like, I just couldn't get my head round that that song had been written with him in mind. So that second verse had been written with the purpose for him to sing those lines. And, uh, and that was the thing that kind of floored me, really. I love that. That's incredible. What a, yeah, that's, that's what dreams are made of. You mentioned about all the things that you have in common. Collaboration is a big one as well. And I think it seems to me that Paul was open to that because you guys are talented. He's not, it's not like he's inviting any old idiot. It's not like I can, you know, I can pop in tomorrow and try and make an album having never played an instrument in my entire life. You, you guys, it works. You're, you're good at what you do. But the other thing is, and we'll touch on this as we go through some of the tracks and stuff, the people that you're collaborating with through presumably through links with Paul or because you're just a great band as well is really exciting. I love some of this stuff with people like Catherine Williams, who I'd be honest, I'd forgotten about for a while. I loved all her yeah. stuff. 
And, and then it's like, oh yeah, bloody hell, brilliant. And you've been working with like Dr. Robert and people like that. But I want to dig into one of the songs, if that's all right, before we move on to that, yeah. which, which is um, Your Balloon Is Rising. And I don't know if this was, a, was one of the first singles off that Street Rituals album, or it certainly had a video. And I know that you were working with Bax and Lee, who have been on the podcast to make some of the stuff around that as well. But that song with Paul and you, and I've seen you do it live together as well, is just brilliant. But that was like an old song that you had kicking around. Was that right? It goes way, way back. Was that right? Yeah, so Your Balloon Is Rising started uh, probably 98, something like that, very early on when me and she started writing together. It was a song that was worked up. Uh, we did some sessions in Leicester at a place called Seamus Wong's studio in Leicester. And essentially, it was very much inspired by Shaq and Love, you know, those two bands, obviously, that kind of go hand in glove because obviously Arthur Lee came over and ended up working with Shaq, didn't he? Mm-hmm. Um, so it had that kind of flavour to it. The verse was really too uplifting to then go into a chorus that was uplifting. And that's something that, like I, I said previously, you really have to hone your craft as a songwriter, I think. So looking back and hearing that demo again, it wasn't quite right. And then you fast forward to the Street Ritual sessions and it was a weird moment that I don't think will probably ever happen again, where me and she's kind of almost simultaneously looked at each other and said, can you remember that song, Your Balloon Is Rising? And I think it was because we were both thinking in our heads, I could hear Paul singing that chorus. Do you know what I mean? I mean, even the chorus, when I listened back to it, was slightly different. It was in a different key as well. It didn't quite work. Anyway, we thought about that song, having not listened to it for that amount of time. And then I basically took it upon myself for the next week to lock myself in a room and just work on that song constantly. And basically I approached it as though I did well, I didn't know what the chords were. I'd forgotten the, the sort of makeup of the song, which helped really. So as I was going back to the song, I sat with the guitar and I worked out what could possibly happen and 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 how I could approach it lyrically. So then I started to think about the girl I was with at the time, my ex-girlfriend. She used to do this thing of um a morning in Coventry, whenever she went to work in Coventry, she'd go half an hour early and she'd go to like the local coffee shop. She'd buy a round of coffees and, and food and stuff. And she'd go to all the homeless people in Coventry oh, wow. and she'd give people these like coffees and, and sandwiches and stuff just as they were waking up. You know what I mean? She just she wouldn't wake them up. She'd just leave it by the side. And, right. and she'd tell me about this, and it really touched me. And that kind of was the thing that sparked the whole song, really. The whole meaning of the song was that, you know, that little act of kindness can go such a long way for for people in life, you know. And that the sort of imagery of the balloon rising into the air was one of complete and utter hope. In, in my eyes, you know, and I wanted to sort of encompass that in the lyrics. I sat down, I worked out what I thought was really cool. We had a go at playing it at the studio. It sounded a bit velvet underground to start with. It was in a different key. And then I sent it Paul. And I honestly, my, my belief of this was that it felt like it was going to get binned or it felt like it was going to get oh. left behind. I wasn't getting a load of joy from the other lads at the beginning and I sent it Paul and I thought I'm going to just keep on here and see if he wants to you know because I think he's going to like this and sure enough he got straight back to me and the first thing he said was can you change the key and I was like right okay so I changed the key and then I sent it in back again and I was recording it on my dictaphone so he was just getting we were sending little messages then he'd send me a dictaphone message back 
saying, well, try it, you know, maybe try it in this key or that key. I remember one night in particular, this is really early on in our relationship, um, and I remember being at home with my ex in bed, and it was about half one, two in the morning, and anyone who knows Paul knows that he's a night owl. I didn't know this at the time, (laughs) and I'm lying in bed, and my phone started ringing at half one in the morning. And I remember my missus missus at the time saying to me, who the hell is that calling you at this time in the morning? (laughs) I remember rolling over like half asleep (laughs) and just seeing his name on the phone and going, it's fucking Weller. (laughs) (laughs) And she was like, well, you better answer it then. So I answered, I got Paul trying to make out I weren't asleep. And he was like, Jonesy, Jonesy, I've just had this idea. Maybe try it in, uh, in this key. Can you pitch it down? And he's like singing to me on the phone. And I'm like going, right, okay, okay. So I went downstairs in my pants into the kitchen, sitting with my acoustic guitar, and I dropped it to a G, or it's in, I think it starts in G major seven. And from that point on, the song, it, it just it seemed to sit right in that key then. And wow. I recorded that version for Paul, sent it to him, and the rest is, uh, the rest is history, really, with, with that tune. Brilliant. I love it. Uh, that's <laughs> You're the third person to mention calls at half one in the morning from Mr. Weller. <laughs> yeah, he's, he does. Uh, that, that's always the, it's always the best time to get him, I think, because he's, uh, I think his brain just goes into overdrive at that, that time of night, really. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, I remember that. If we do get the podcast interview for the end of this series, <laughs> it'll be like, I'll schedule it at half one in the morning. That's fine. For do it at half one, yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, and that song, I, mean, I think I listen to that song most days. I love it. It's brilliant. Honestly, it's such a great song. Um, right, and thanks. Paul did it during lockdown as a, like a little acoustic on his phone type thing as well. Yeah, which is, yeah. It's really lovely. And, I, and I've seen you guys do it together on stage as well. It's just a brilliant, brilliant song. And there's so many we could spend, I mean, I, we could spend hours talking about all these songs, but I think the collaboration stuff's really interesting. How does it work? So you've got, you know, Catherine Williams, Dr. Robert, Mick Torben, Steve White recently you've worked with on the last couple of albums as well. Is this you reaching out to people that you really want to play with, you really want to work with? Yeah, I think so. Um, we started quite early on this when we were working with Nolan Porter and Joe Harris from The Undisputed Truth and people like that. Myself and she's when we started doing those gigs, we kind of did them to help elevate the band. But in the same time, we came across this happy accident where we were recording new stuff with these guys, like Tracing Paper we recorded with Nolan and uh, and we did a few things with Joe as well at the time. And we realised that it felt like before we were looking through a keyhole almost at what we were trying to achieve. And from that point on, we said to each other, you know, almost like that Steely Dan kind of ethos where if you feel that another player or another singer or another musician will add the the correct element to what you're trying to achieve, then ask them to perform on on the record. And they'll only say no. Hmm. And then it started really early when we were asking people like Carlene Anderson and Dr. Robert and Graham Parker and people like that. And they were just getting back and saying, Yeah, I'd love to do it. And straight away, as soon as you're sending someone your music, which is such a personal thing, and they say yes to that, that instantaneously is such a massive reward for you because you think these people really like what they're doing. Otherwise, they'd have shown us the door or said, you know, politely, thanks, but no thanks. So it kind of stemmed from there, really, those opening uh, collaborations with people. And as is the way with any true collaboration, you have the idea in your head 
how you want something to sound. And you obviously, as a songwriter, write the way that it should sound, but you've also got to let the musician or the vocalist have their own slight interpretation on it as well. So it's like when we, we, we were doing Season of Change on Street Rituals and we sent that track to Betty Lavette. And Betty did three different versions of that tune and each one we could have used, it was just incredible. But they were all slightly different, you know what I mean? They weren't exactly the way that I was phrasing it when I sent her the demo. And the same with uh, something like Carry the News from Everybody, Anyone, where Mick and Keith, uh, Mick and Steve are on it, Mick and Keith, not the Rolling Stones. Uh, where Mick, <laughs> They're the next album. Uh, <laughs> where Mick and Steve are on that track. And we had, like, the demo of that song, which we obviously worked up at our place, but, you know, you can't like, you can't say to someone like Mick Tolbert, I want you to play exactly like this because Mick's going to bring his own flavour and his own flair to the game. You know what I mean? So, and the same with Steve, you know, they've got their own character and personality. Like, if you tried to compare, so the last record, uh, Whitey's on that quite a bit. And on recordings going forward, I think we'll use Steve as well. Because what Steve gives you that Phil doesn't, and Phil is a phenomenal drummer. And it's uh, an amazing accolade for to give Phil really that, you know, when we've played tours with Whitey, it's almost like, it almost feels like such a, a natural thing because they're both incredible players. So that's a massive accolade to give Phil, someone who looked up to Whitey as a kid, one, one of the reasons he played in the first place. But Phil plays on the back of a beat. So when you're playing uh, or recording with Phil, he's right on the back of the beat. It's got this kind of real soulfulness to it in the, the way he plays. Whitey's the opposite. Whitey almost like pushes the beat. He's on the front of it. So it's really immediate and it's really like energizing. You know what I mean? And both work. Both are incredible the way they do what they do, but they're so different. And that, mm. and that's a true sense of a collaboration. When you hear something, you think he'd be perfect or she'd be perfect. And it's like Catherine with Don't Walk Away. It's like we could hear almost like, like a French folk artist in our heads. And Catherine's got that kind of beauty in her voice where she could, she could almost be like, you know, you could almost imagine her sitting in a, a Paris cafe singing that song. You know what I mean? Yeah, it, yeah. That kind of element to her. So, yeah, that's kind of true collaboration, I think. It's lovely as well, because when you hear her, for instance, immediately remembered the albums that I'd had that I hadn't listened to for a while and then suddenly discovered there had been stuff stints and which was really lovely. So you're kind of introducing yeah. people to, to her music in that way, too. But with Steve and Mick, I imagine there was a bit of you as a kind of as a Weller super fan who couldn't believe his luck at having been, you know, being able to play with those guys. Yeah, that was uh, that was really Really mad, really, because like like I say, you've probably seen the Carry the News video and that is like us playing together in the room yeah, and, yeah. and it's when you have those moments. But the, but the thing is, any kind of nerves that you would have in that situation quickly dissipate because good musicians make you play better. That's just a simple fact. That's just the way it works. So you almost feel like you're on the back of a, a flying horse when, when like Whitey's playing the drums and then you've got Mick with all this beautiful colour that's happening around you, you know what I mean? And it's uh, it's just a really effortless experience. And and, and we like another uh, sort of example of two guys we've just become really good mates with, you know. I've been so fortunate to work with Mick on the Monk's Road studio mm. sessions that, you know, I've been doing my own 
stuff on the side and we went out to youth studio about a year and a half ago before all this lockdown crap happened and uh, and we worked out there and we had a couple of great nights talking music and drinking lots of vino collapso. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> What's the difference between record and live with those guys and with Weller? Because he's you've supported him and I've seen you, I think, Royal Albert Hall. I saw you before lockdown on the on the Forest gigs. But he's also played with you and, and doing the songs that you've kind of you've collaborated on and, and performed on those. What's what's the difference in that dynamic from studio to, to live performance? Not much really. Studio wise, I, I'm enjoying working in in the studio more than I ever have because what you've got to remember is working in Black Barn is like, uh, for me now, like driving a Mercedes when we used to drive like a a Reliant Robin. Do you know what I mean? Like our old studio, and I'm taking nothing away from our old studio and the studio that we do our sessions in now, but it's like we've kind of had to make it work with the equipment that we've accumulated. You know, Andy Codlin, who does our engineering there, has done an incredible job on a pretty non-existent budget. Do you know what I mean? And so going to the barn is a totally different thing. I mean, like at our studio, there was a time, I don't know whether it's been fixed since, but I remember uh, one of our old uh, band members being in there and looking for a roach so he could skin up with, and there was a bit of card that used to be nestled between one of the faders, and he pulled the card, and the whole the whole desk went off. And apparently, <laughs> Co- Co- Coddy had put it there as a contact point to keep the thing going. Like so, that kind of gives you uh, an element of what we were working with when we were making to find the spirit in a life unlimited. You know, I'd be singing with headphones, and halfway through, one of the headphones had cut out. You just have to like get on with it and do what you were doing. You know, whereas now. You feel like you're in the Rolls Royce, you know what I mean? You're in this beautiful place where it just feels so natural to make music. And then obviously <clears throat> the friendship and the banter and and the sort of vibe we have with Paul just extends to when he comes and joins us on stage, you know. It's like you just feel like your lads making music together, you sort of you know, side by side, make, making music with someone. It's a weird thing, right, Dan? It's, it's, um, I used to, like, before I met Paul, I, he, he was almost like, um, like an untouchable figure in my mind. Do you know what I mean? This kind of amazing musician with this incredible style and, you know, everything that surrounded him. And now he's just he's just Paul. He's just Paul to me. You know what I mean? It's like when I see him, I don't feel that tightening in the stomach from the first few sessions where it's like, shit, got to get this right. We've got to be on the money here. You know, it's like I just see him as Paul and um, I just look forward to sort of talking with the bloke, to spending time with him and to making music with him, essentially. And it's the same with Whitey and, and Mick and... People like Graham Parker, who become really good mates with. It's just a really beautiful thing that um, long mate continue. You're living my life that I would love. (laughs) 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 Damn you. Um, Let's talk about Is Love Enough? This was released last year. I imagine it's bloody frustrating not to be able to get out there and and gig it properly and tour it properly. But again, working with Weller, Deeper Love is the the track that everybody's been talking about. But he's on on a few others as well. Um, Yeah. I mean, you can't keep him off the things now. There must be a bit where you're you're right. (laughs) All right, Weller, I'm going to sing this one. Shut up. This is mine. (laughs) But Deeper Love's brilliant. I love that song. 
Yeah, it's, it's, it's very um, different. It's very different for him and, and feels very different for you as well. Yeah, that's that's why that's why at the time when we were recording it, Paul was in for that first session of uh, His Love Enough. And I think it was actually my suggestion. I'd gone in to record like a guide vocal on it. And I kind of uh, remember stepping to one side and just saying to Shees, you know what, we should ask Paul to do this because... I think this would be really good because it's not something that people would expect him to sing on, you know, or they wouldn't expect that kind of, that particular sound. And it coincided with when we played the track back and he always sits between the two speakers when he's listening on the other side of the desk. And we played the the first night, we played the session back and I could see he was loving it. And I thought, Right, I got to time this right here, and he's like properly getting into it. And he turned around and he went, "Fucking hell!" He goes, "You got to do a twelve-inch remix of that." He goes, "I'm <laughs> having that all night long." And it was at that point that we both went, "I think you should sing this, you know, Paul. I think you do." And he went, "Yeah, Charlie, get the mic on." <laughs> and it was like straight in. Oh and, wow! And, and 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 then he's and then he's <laughs> on it, and I think he lifts that track. I, I, the thing I love about Is Love Enough, though, is that we we started using sort of more contemporary voices as well. So obviously, Duran Jones is on there, which was a really big thing for me because I love his band. We saw them play in Birmingham and I've been, I've been mates with him on social media for quite some time. And we've got friends in common in New York as well. Uh, Curtis, who does the radio show in New York. And so we've kind of been talking. So it was great to get him. And it was also brilliant to get Lavelle. Mm. because I think I honestly believe that that lad's one of the best vocalists in in Britain at the moment, the best young vocalists in Britain. I I just, I'm amazed at his voice. I think it's incredible. It's like somewhere between Teddy Pendergrass and Luther, something like that, you know what I mean? Or that Alexander O'Neill thing, or but it's also got that Teddy P thing going on. He's just that kid's just got it, man. And I think I think we'll definitely do some more stuff with Lavelle in the coming uh, year because he's. I just think the guy's great. And yeah, it's just great. It's great to get the record out, mate. It's great. Really well received. We had another, our third top 40 record on the bounce, which is incredible, really, you know, with what we're dealing with as regards, you know, always going up against the big labels and the big funded bands. It's a difficult time to even make a dent in music. And, you know, it feels like we've got something to say and people are listening to it. Yeah. And you're paying out to packed houses. You've done, you know, Glastonbury. There was like supporting people like Mavis Staples, but, you know, huge big arenas and traveling in the world as well, which must be bloody frustrating when you're kind of locked in and, and not oh, able mate. to get anywhere. <laughs> I've, had, I've, had to, I've had to put back our tour of Germany and Holland about four times now. Um, so that's not till next March. But the really incredible uh, silver lining is that it looks like we're going to be out touring again in October and November. We've got two nights sold out at the 100 Club in September. And then October, November, we've got a full 20-plus date tour of the UK. So I just can't wait to get back out and do that. And obviously, in the meantime, we've been recording these uh, Patreon sessions for people, these studio sessions which hopefully uh, people can check those out as well because that's been that's just been really enjoyable to play music with the lads again and be in a room. I mean, Lee Cogswell's been turning up to the last two, helping Andy do the recording, and it's like it feels like even though we're working, obviously it's kind of like having a night out. Yeah, <laughs> and as someone who's been stuck in a house on his own since the year started. 
it's God, it stopped me from going mad. You know yeah. what I mean? And I bet. So tell me about this. So this is Patreon. I was wondering how you pronounce it. Uh, Patreon. Yeah. And this is six quid a month. At the point of recording, uh, we've had two shows, which have been like sessions released. Um, but you're going to be doing studio sessions, radio shows, podcasts. Yeah. Damn yeah, yeah. So, so well, <laughs> I have enough competition in the podcast space already. <laughs> I mean, essentially, it's it's all based around this Stone Foundation studio sessions. We thought I I always used to love. I don't know whether you remember seeing Daryl's house, which no, was no. uh, with Daryl Hall. Check it out, right, okay. Daryl's house. I think can, it started on YouTube essentially, and then and then it got picked up by a TV company. But it was essentially Daryl Hall in his house performing music with his bands. And then as it got slightly bigger, they moved in guests, you know. So all of a sudden he's doing stuff with like CeeLo Green, Smokey Robinson. All these people are coming in and, and, and playing with him in the house each episode. So that's kind of my aspiration with it is that we'll continue these episodes. And as it gets slightly bigger each month, which I hope it continues to do, We'll start bringing in some of the some of the guests, you know, some of our collaborators that we've worked with over the years into our studio, and I think it'd be a really beautiful thing, you know. Yeah. And the other thing that we've really enjoyed, like we are doing a podcast, which is great because we're kind of talking about the beginnings of Stone Foundation, and we're going to interview some guests for that as well. But the thing that we really enjoyed doing this week, which is coming out next week, is a radio show, and uh, myself and she's had a ball doing that. I mean, that was fantastic. It was really good fun. So that. That'll be coming out next week. I think people will really enjoy that. But, but yeah, people can go over there. It's patreon.com forward slash Stone Foundation. And like you say, it's six quid. No one's forcing you to subscribe to the whole year. You can just dip in for a month and, and then that's it, if that's all you want out of it. But it's like I think she's alluded to this week. It's the, at the price of a pint and a bag of crisps or whatever it is. Do you know what I mean? Or, yeah. or a glass of or half a bottle of wine or whatever. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. it's like, yeah. it's really well, yeah. nothing. Price of a magazine, isn't it? You know? Yeah, and we're really making sure that people get like the bang for the buck. You know, we've been re- working really hard over the last month to, so we've got absolutely stacks of content for it and, and people will get free downloads and all sorts. You know, I, I want it to feel like people are sort of getting some joy out of it, you know, and the early signs show that they are. Yeah, no, it's lovely. I mean, if you're into the band, you have to check this out. It's brilliant because you're getting stuff that you can't get anywhere else, which is the, the key thing as well. But really yeah. getting an insight into your relationship as a band as well by the sounds of things with all the stuff coming. But the sessions are great. I loved it. So I can't, I can't wait to kind of um, dive into more of them. A couple of questions before you go. And I've loved every second of this. So thank you so much. Um, Thanks, Mike. Question number one, you're allowed one Paul Weller song for the rest of your life. Which one is it? It can be Solo, The Jam, The Style Council, or as it's you with The Stone Foundation. Oh, this is hard. This is, I'm not going to pick one of my own songs. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. I'm I'd love it if you picked one that he'd just played piano on or something. Uh, <laughs> you know I mean? like, yeah, do you know what I mean? He's not even on know, vocals. You know, one of my, one of my favourite... Uh, I'd have to pick, oh, God, it's difficult to pick one. One of my favourite songs that Paul's ever written, which I think is a, just a work of art, and I love this record, although we've had, like, many discussions between each other where he's gone, what, you like that record? And I'm like, yeah, it's fucking brilliant. Um, Heliocentric, I love that album. And I think Paul always struggles with it because it was a very difficult album to make. I think it took a long time to put together, obviously, 
you've got the amazing Robert Kirby strings on there and all that sort of stuff. It's just, I just think it's a brilliant record. And for me, the song Frightened oh, yes. is yes. just genius. I think it's, it kind of slightly inspired back in the game in, in a sense of, I love, I love the lyrics, the way it's opening yourself up to everyone and saying, I'm re- I can really struggle sometimes, but I can also find, I can find my way. You know what I mean? I can find my way in the end, but I can really struggle with stuff sometimes. And I love that. I love the beauty in that. And the other tune that I would pick if I was allowed one more <laughs> is uh, just, just because it reminds me of me and my mates all dressed up like, We'd usually play this before we'd go on a night out. Is Whirlpool's End, which I just oh, thought yeah. was just mag. I just think that's magnificent, you know. And when it reminds me of nights seeing him at Villa Leisure Centre, where they just go off on these. Oh, it's just psychedelic soul. That is, you know what I mean? It's just brilliant. That there'd always be amazing visuals sort of back that one up as well. And you, yeah. and you're right. They'd kind of go off on a jam, and you'd just be lost in that. I'd love. That. It doesn't play that one live enough for me. I have to say. No, I don't, I don't think he played. Uh, I can't, I can't remember that. Yeah, I can't remember the last. Nah. Yeah, I can't remember the last time he's played that one. Frightened, bang on. I don't know why. Why does he? Why is he not as keen on that song? Because I, I don't know. I, 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 I love that. I don't, yeah. I don't think it's the song. It's the rec- the whole album. I think right. the process of the album was was a long and difficult one. I don't think he's. I don't think he hates that record. I just think he thinks back to it to other records more favourably. Do you know what I mean? I just love that record. And the image on the front is as cool as fuck as well, isn't it? Let's be honest. Yeah. yeah. And the only one that you can't get on, I saw that on eBay this week on the vinyl, was somebody sold like 400 quid or something. It's really hard. to. <laughs> it's really, if you didn't get it on vinyl at the time, <laughs> it's really, yeah. really hard to get on vinyl. There must be an element with Paul where you're talking, because you must both be talking about wanting to get back to live music. And, oh, yeah. And, and how much you, you, you're all desperate to get on, on back on the road. For him and for you, if if, you, if you're producing and writing new stuff at the minute, creating a set list is going to be nigh on impossible, isn't it? How, how are you picking uh, the best things from your catalogue for a show now? Well, we did uh, the socially distanced gigs last year was straightforward because we managed to get a few in at the Jazz Caf in London and we literally played the album from start to finish. The new album is Love Enough and then we bolted on some of the old favourites at the end. Whereas I think when we go out, we're hoping to do some dates in the summer actually and that'll be coming soon because I think we're going to have to move our Jazz Calf gigs that were meant to be April and we'll probably end up moving them to uh, to the summer, hopefully July. I think things will be cool by then. And we've kind of spoke about it. We're just going to have to sit down and probably arm wrestle each other over <laughs> what we're going to play. But we'll probably just make sure that I like the idea that people will get something different at each show that they come to so you know when we're touring later in the year we will just keep mixing it up so if you've been to Newcastle to see us you've saw a different Stone Foundation gig than you have if you've been to London or Manchester or Liverpool or wherever do you know what I mean so Mm. we'll just keep mixing things up so people get a different set each time because as I say we're really close with the next record as well and when that drops I mean that for me at the moment sounding really fantastic i'm so pleased with the direction we've took with that that it's just yeah it's going to get harder and harder but you know what it's like it's like you know when you're creating new stuff you always want to play the newer stuff because it sounds so fresh to you you know and that's that's the same sort of thing that we have in common with paul 
is he's always looking to do that next thing, that that new yeah. thing that, yeah. that excites him, you know. And and I think that's what we're all about as well. As a fan, what do you? Where do you go when you see a Paul Weller gig? Are you are you in the mosh pit? Are you from the side now, watching on as a mate? <laughs> no, I like I like to watch gigs from out the front. So I think like you know you get the full. Uh, experience then don't you let's be honest when I was younger I always used to try and get nearer to the front you know what I mean just to catch a glimpse or get a salute or you yeah. know what I mean yeah. you get get involved but as I get a little bit older I do tend to gravitate towards the uh, mixing desk because you know you always know in your head that the guy mixing the sound is the guy that's uh, that that's where the optimal sound is going to be because yeah. that's yeah. that's where he's mixing the room to Pretty much. Yeah. So, yeah, just it really depends. <laughs> but I always enjoy Paul's gigs. I thought the Forest gigs in particular, what are we, about a year ago or a year and a half ago, were really tremendous. Yeah. I thought he was singing better than ever. He'd obviously uh, borrowed the SF horn section on each show, which was really nice. And uh, it was just, it, it was just really it was such a cool experience, all of that, just sharing. I've got this wonderful picture of us um, playing Simplify the Situation at the end of one of our sets, support slots. And, uh, and Paul's, you can just see Paul to the right of me in the wings and he's singing along. And it's like such a great pick that is. And it's, uh, it just kind of sums up what a beautiful summer that was. It was just, yeah. it was great. Yeah, yeah. I went to the gig in Kent and um, it was brilliant because it was also digging out songs that I hadn't heard for ages off um, off Wildwood and I think he did um, Strange Museum and stuff. It was, yeah, yeah it was, it's it was, great. Wow. Really good. So final question. The whole point of this podcast existing is not just to have lovely chats like this, I have to say, Neil, but also to be able to meet the great man um, and have an interview, a conversation that I never managed to get to in my radio career and having a chat with Paul at half one in the morning sounds like the way to do this what should i ask him what should i talk about is there a question you'd like me to ask is there anything you think actually he'll dig this subject i just think if you talk about music and fashion uh, clothes with paul then i think you're, you're never going to go wrong you know what i mean but i think the other thing the other thing that really he he gets really excited about which i love is the fact that we're always swapping new music with each other i think right now is a very exciting time for new music. I think especially some of the young soul jazz artists that are out there at the moment, there's some phenomenal stuff. Uh, I think you've only got to dig a little deeper to find that. It's 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 prevalent, you know, the, this kind of resurgence of uh, creativity. It's, it's there for everyone. And uh, I think that's the thing he loves the most. It's, uh, well, not just that, but just music in general. I bought him... I bought him a single by a guy called Jimmy Gresham the last time I went to the barn and it's called Garden of Love and it's an incredible tune. It's on a reissue. I'd never heard it before. Isn't this the wonderful thing about music that we'll never, ever get to hear all the incredible songs that we'd love to hear. But I just heard this song and I thought, I don't think he'd have heard this. I'm going to buy him this. So I bought it, got him to put it on the big speakers at the barn and I just love the way he reacts like I react to hearing new music. And he turned to me halfway through and he went, he goes, I think this is my new favourite fucking tune, Jonesy. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, it's just the guy's voice is just like, what the f Just incredible. And um, it's little moments like that, you know, he's, he's like a kid at heart like we all are when it comes to music, you know, and, and, and that's... I think is is the true beauty of the man is that he's as excited by music now as he probably was 
the first time he put a style of stand on a record. Do you know what I mean? He, it, yeah, that yeah. that has that has retained his passion and his fire for moving forwards, and and that's the beauty of it, really. It sounds like I need to get making a mixtape. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> or you know, if, any, anything like that. If you play the guy music for the first time that he hasn't heard and he really likes it, you know, you know because his brain is constantly moving. I. I I remember sort of comparing him to like a, a Catherine wheel the first time I, I worked with him. It was like an indoor firework. It was like just sitting there and like, bang, bang, I've got this, I've got this, and what, let's try this and let's do that. And it's just a constant, a constant flow, a constant stream. And if you throw something into that stream and, and he kind of uh, really digs it, then it just flows, you know, and every, everything sort of moves on from there. He won't forget something that you've kind of, turned him on to you know Neil this has been such a blast or Jonesy this has been such a blast (laughs) thank you so much I've enjoyed every second of this I have to say thank you and good luck for the future I can't wait to see you guys back on the road this year fingers crossed and and that's going to be a nice nice experience as well keep enjoying the music and I'll uh, I'll no doubt see you at one of the gigs at the end of the year thanks mate well that was great so many standout moments on that episode with Jonesy what an absolute legend my thanks to Neil and fingers crossed we can get to see Stone Foundation live in 2021 and you never know maybe Mr Weller will turn up too Next up, it's the turn of Steve Report, rock and roll photographer who talks us through his Weller Jam and Style Council collection from Brixton Fair Deal to the ICA through Red Wedge, Long Hot Summer, Wembley Live Aid and so much more. Don't forget to share this episode on social media, leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. It really does help us to find new listeners to the show. You can find us on Twitter at WellerFanPod or on Facebook and Instagram. It's Paul Weller Fan Podcast. I'll see you next time. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out of pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.